filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster I smoked a lot of meat this weekend, guys. I assume you mean in a smoker or grill of some sort. Yes, you've been doing I a have, lot of that lately. Yes, I have a standard Weber kettle grill, and then I have an uh, aftermarket add-on to said Weber grill that uh, allows you to do a real good job of smoking meats. And previously, I've smoked mostly chickens, uh, but this week I smoked two pork butts uh, for a total of 15 pounds of pork and had a big party where friends came over and we just drank cheap beer while the meat was smoked. And then when the meat was done, we ate said meat. I woke up at 5.30 a.m. to start and uh, the meat took a total of 11 hours to smoke. Nice. Um, When I was in high school and college, my dad and some friends were on a barbecue team. In, in my hometown in southern Indiana. And they uh, they would do all-night cook cookouts, basically. Yeah. Um, when they'd enter a competition or something, I'd go in the, on the Friday evening and help them set up, move the, the cooker into position, set up the tent, uh, make sure the, the coolers were appropriately stocked uh, with things mm-hmm. I was not legally able to drink at the time. And then, but you did anyways? Uh, not so much at the, the barbecue stuff. Okay. At at sporting events, sure. At the the bar where I had my first job, I may have been served prematurely. But um, <laughs> yeah, and then I'd, I'd come help out with front of the house stuff the, the next day after the old men had spent all night uh, standing vigil around the cooker. Uh, they would they would leave in the morning to get a couple hours of shut eye, and I would kind of man the fort for a little while. Sounds delightful. Yeah, it, it it was good. Jason, what's your experience with barbecue? Um, I mean, I've I've done plenty of cooking out. Nothing overnight. Um, I've done plenty of like four to six hour, super slow, super low um, cooks with uh, country ribs, especially are really good for that. Um, if you get a good sauce um, to throw on for the last hour or so, you can get a, you can put it on that early without having it uh, burn or uh, char mm-hmm. um, yeah. as long as you're going like super super low but you have to be really vigilant about if you're using charcoal you have to be super vigilant about keeping your temperature which can be really tricky um, yes as as, yeah. as as all of my websites that I use for grilling say you have to have a good digital thermometer that measures the yeah. air temperature inside the grill uh, as one of the websites say don't use the thermometer in the lid of the grill unless you intend on eating the lid of the grill (laughs) yeah that's that's good advice because you know those help but they are a very rough guide and you need super specifics when you're going like that i have um i have a friend who's actually entered a couple competitions over the years um and a few years ago at july 4th he showed up like first thing in the morning at the house we were all going to hang out at he showed up way early Went into my uh, buddy's backyard, and I guess he got permission. We never really got the details, but he just dug a small pit and filled it up with um, hot rocks and uh, helped cook a uh, a pig um, nice. right on the spot. And Damn. we were like, what's happening over here? He's like, oh, I, I, I got a pig in there. Don't worry about that. We were like, wait, really? We were – this is not what we were expecting. All right. I do want to get pedantic real quick, though. I, I, I'm happy to say – that both of you are using the term barbecue correctly, which was not my experience when I moved out here from Indiana, where oh, a barbecue yeah. referred to grilling meats. And I'm going to be yeah, pedantic no. and say that's oh, not barbecue. That's that not a barbecue. That's one of one of my least favorite pedantic things in in, in the English language. Oh, um, it's because it's I grew up. I don't care where you grew up. It's terrible across well, the board for 300. That's, that's uh, every my, single American citizen. Pedantic. 
Well, that is my pedantry for the night. It's That's called association be, football, Adam. You're not going. You're probably not <laughs> going to stop with that one. Um, but yes, uh, we'll, you're, we'll you're, you're right. Uh, this is these are two different things. Heaven forbid. <laughs> I'm happy that both of you. I I didn't have to get pedantic against either. I'll I'll accept happy. my I'll accept my punishment by shoving my hand into the grill the next time. <laughs> hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the barbecue pedantry and black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor they are jason anderson and ben bromley we're all from black and where we cover dc united the u.s national teams and more we've got both those things on tap for you tonight the u.s is playing in the gold cup and uh we've got a disappointing result to to talk about not a terrible result just a little disappointing and DC United are on a bit of a midseason break for the Gold Cup, and we are going uh. to break down their form or lack thereof with Devin McTavish, former DC United defender and current color commentator. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? Oh, did you say me? I did. did. Okay. Uh, I am drinking a bourbon Ricky. I've nice. got bourbon in there. I've got... Uh, Lime juice, obviously, and I've got lime-flavored seltzer water that a friend of mine brought to said uh, barbecue. And it's pretty decent, actually, especially in the Ricky. It, co- it complements the lime juice itself pretty well. I'll allow it. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I went back to that jalapeno limeade that I've been making things out of, and this time I threw tequila in instead of mezcal. Um, I think out of all the variations I've tried, the mezcal is the best, but this is a close second. The This is um, Blanco Tequila. This is um, Technico with uh, the jalapeno limeade. It's it's pretty good. I've had a, I had a spicy dinner. Um, I had tacos with uh, some extra spicy sauce, and then I'm throwing this around me too. So good luck to my innards. <laughs> Pray for Jason's stomach. I'll be fine. One of the One of the things I'm most tolerant of is too much spicy food. I don't know why. Other stuff, I don't know, but this, uh, I should be okay. That's good. I, I, I'm I glad to hear you won't be doubled over for the next week. You're not old enough to to have to face that yet. No, no, no. Uh, hopefully that'll be one of the last things to go. <laughs> I am um, voluntarily drinking rum tonight? Uh, eventually it was going to happen. Said, yeah. Uh it's the only and way DC United I, might win a game. Yeah, they're not even playing this week. Um, I, I guess I'm trying to bank some soccer God, karma? karma points or something. I have no idea. This this is tenuous at best. Uh, I got some more some new shrubs uh, last week from Union Kitchen Grocery, and I have Shrub District's pineapple allspice uh, shrub, and it the it. The recipe it has on the label is a pina colada, which I, I just glanced at and I said, okay, it's rum. I'll try it with rum. And so I got um, Cotton and Reed's dry spiced rum, which is not as sweet as most rums and has a lot of other things happening uh, and mixed it with that and half a lime, uh, some club soda. So it's almost a, it's almost a play on a Ricky, but um, it's it's not bad. The, the dry spiced rum really... Uh, plays nicely with the pineapple and allspice and it's not too sweet so i don't hate it i i have a, a small thing to say about rum at your leisure go, go forth um <laughs> uh, my, my one of my friends that i went to spring break with years ago went back to the, him and his wife are in the bahamas uh right now um and one of the things he said he was definitely going to do is look up the rum that we drank a ton of once we found out how cheap it was. It's local rum. It's called Fire in D-Hole. Not not oh the, but D-E. Um, it's erotic rum, no. um, uh, which is nonsense. Um, it's it's a spiced rum, and I, I put that in scare quotes. Um, it's not good. Uh, it's dirt cheap. Um, and he said he was going to see if it was still what he remembered, which is... Um, Something that was only good if you mixed it with drinking. We drank it straight a couple nights to get riled up for spring break, but it was a, like, well, this is cheap and it's what we've got, so we've got to make do kind of situation. Um, he said it's now doubled in price, so it's no longer appealingly cheap, because before it was like $7 for a bottle. Um, it was almost free. Um, and yeah. now it's, it's, now it's still dirt cheap, but not free cheap. 
Um, and also he's in, you know, a job, a job holding adult. So he doesn't have to take those considerations in anymore. He's like, I'm still going to drink some for nostalgia's sake, but, uh, I'm no longer as enthusiastic about it as I used to be. They still do call it erotic rum though. They didn't change that, which is nice. Well, that's well, good. Uh, now it's just, I, I can't even say it's classy or classier erotic rum because it's still erotic it's rum and the level of class involved is necessarily zero. They- they change the bottles to make them look... They almost look like wine coolers rather than rum. Um, and I assume it's a trick. I assume that they're trying to trick people and like, oh, that looks like a thing I can drink uh, without, you know, anything mixing it up. And then you drink it and it's like... It's just at least, straight rum. It's a small... There's a, a small chance that there's like gasoline involved in, in making this stuff. Um, <laughs> it's not great. Well, um, pray for your friend. <laughs> Uh, he'll be he fine. Turn safely he'll from get the through it. He's been through. He's been through worse. <laughs> but well, he's probably not soccer. as hardy as he used to be. That's yeah, true. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's not quite in the the, the the level of practice he once was. Also, when you're young, your body can take more things. Generally, more abuse. It's yes. abuse. It is abuse. Uh, I, I'm not even going to try to find a segue to the gold cup from that. Uh, cause this one, one draw was, wasn't great, but I don't think I can call it abuse. The USA were forced to split the points Saturday with the one, one draw against Panama. Dom Dwyer finished Kellen Rose really good work to open the scoring early in the second half, only for the US to allow Miguel Camara and Camargo an equalizer off a rebound all of 10 minutes later. Uh, before we talk about those, those goals. Uh, Jason, I was wondering what your thoughts on the, the lineup he ran out. He made a couple of changes from the win against Ghana, uh, putting Alejandro Bedoya into the midfield and making another change that is escaping me because my the app I was looking at closed. Omar Gonzalez. Thank you. At center back, Omar Gonzalez um, mm-hmm. entering. So so what were your thoughts on, on those changes and, well, and whether he should have made more or less? I, I want to make sure everyone knows that the grunting this whole time has been Ben, um, <laughs> uh, not me. Um, but I'm also unhappy. I agree with Ben's gr- grunting. Um, I I feel like the balance in this game was way too conservative in the midfield. Um, when you have McCarty and Acosta holding, um, you have you you need that attacking trio to then be a little more. Um, positive going forward. Acosta adds something getting to the attack. Um, but you need two of those players to be guys that really want to go and attack not, and not be more conservative players. But you ended up with Bedoya as a conservative right winger. Uh, Joe Corona is a conservative number 10. Um, and so you ended up with Kellen Rowe looking kind of good in the attack only because he was one of the only players doing what the U.S. needed to do. And it was just a, a selection issue. Um where he was the only player who was thinking, let me attack, rather than let me look sideways um, a lot of times. And and I think Panama took advantage of that lack of balance. Um, I think the U.S. looked a lot better when out of Corona and brought Agudelo in um, to go to a 4-4-2. I think that's a better fit for this group of players. Um, if Bedoya is going to be a starter, and I mean, Arena gave him a, the captain's armband, so we have to assume that he's going to be starting uh, the knockout stage games, which... You know, just because this was a disappointing performance, it's Martinique and Nicaragua coming up. Uh, the U.S. is going right. to the knockout stage. Um, so if Bedoya is going to be starting, he's probably going to be starting on the right side. Um, Acosta and McCarty pretty much have to be the, the the two starting central midfielders for important games with this roster. Um, so at that point, you really have – it's Corona that's the odd man out. Um, and I feel like it's a strange situation with him because he's – a really, really technically gifted player, but he he's never quite played the style of play that his teammates want to play with the national team. He always looks cut out for a different uh, a different group, a different system, a different everything. Um, and sometimes that's the case. Um, it's unfortunate for him, but that's kind of the way of the world. Um, and I think that Rowe and Dwyer are going to do better if Agudelo is in. Um, or even, you know, for these other games, we're going to see some heavy rotation, so... Jordan Morris is probably going to cycle in, um, even though I'm not really sure he's earned this call-up with his MLS play. It's more of a yeah. potential um, call-up. Um, 
personally... I'd love to see Paul Ariola start instead of Bedoya, but... Right, but, you know, Arena kind of made his statement with um, yeah. with, with the way that went. Um, I also think that, you know, if, if Dwyer... Dwyer probably shouldn't play against Martinique except for maybe 10 minutes just to keep him fresh. We have to remember this is a summer tournament, lots of travel, lots of short rest. Um, this game against Panama was obviously grueling for everyone involved. Um, I'd like to see Zardes play up front because I think he, it's very clear to me that he is a striker that can play on the wing rather than a winger who can play on up front. Um, Arena sees it the other way around, uh, most of the time, but personally, I think, um, Zardes would actually do better than Morris as a second forward right now. Um, but in any case, we'll, we'll get a look at maybe who his next, um, who Arena's next looks are, uh, on the roster for this, this upcoming game because, he's probably going to rotate most of the team because this is a board that can afford to get away with that. Um, I thought Gonzalez did okay, um, but I think that the problems weren't so much in the back. Maybe Graham Zussi accepted. I don't think he played very well. Um, he still looks like a guy that can that can stand in as your MLS right back um, rather than a guy who is a full-time right back. Um, he still looks like someone who is learning on the job, and... You can get in Kansas City, the best defense in the league. You can get away with that, um, especially since his job there is to help jump into the attack and add some width. Uh, with the U.S., the role is different, the level of play is different, and it shows. Um, so, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's not really much of an answer on the right back. Right back. Um, so that's going to be kind of the deal going forward. We we have everything high, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yes, really high. But no one seems to ever want to give him a chance. Um, it's almost like Bob, Bob Bradley did, and that's Bob Bradley true. was the last um, U.S. manager to do so. I assume so. that Lehigh and Justin Morrow will start as the fullbacks against Martinique, just purely out of a need to rotate. There's no reason to um, not rotate them in for that one, and maybe they can do something well enough where Arena says, "Hey, maybe for the you know the Nicaragua game, I look at." seeing if they're ready to start with the other the other guys. Um, but Please, we'll okay. oh. I wouldn't be surprised to see a completely different unit against Martinique, and we'll get into that in a little bit, whether he should make 10 or more changes uh, <laughs> to the lineup. I want to get back to midfield, though, because um, you're absolutely right. Bedoya, he, he showed in Philly in his time there that he's not an attacking midfielder. He's a right. box-to-box guy at the most attacking. Uh, Joe Corona had some success against Ghana, I thought, by by peeling back and letting the two outside midfielders push up even more, making it almost more of a 4-3-3 than a 4-2-3-1. Right. And that, that suits Kellen Rowe really well. That suits Paul Ariola. That suits Jordan Morris. That suits Jassy Zardes. That kind of suits the... Yeah, it really suits Chris Pontius. Like, it suits the personnel that, that Bruce Arena brought for out wide. So it makes some kind of sense to have him in there, but not if Bedoya is next to him. That makes the whole thing fall apart. And I think we saw that. We saw both Corona and Bedoya get the ball in transition, essentially, um, on a quick counter opportunity. And both times, each player held the ball for too long and ended yeah. up the, the chance ended up petering out. And I was screaming at my TV, release it now, yeah. go now. Four times I yelled it before the ball actually moved. And... They have to see those those opportunities faster than they did against Panama if this team is going to be dangerous in transition. And they're the U.S. Try hard, run fast is always <laughs> been and will probably always be uh, at least a really important part, if not the only or even the first club. It will be an important club in the bag. Yeah. And those, if they're both on the field in attacking spots, it it doesn't really work that well. And hopefully Bruce sees that he's a smart guy he's a good coach he's the most successful yeah. american coach by a lot of metrics for a good reason so right. i I'm not I'd saying like to, i don't think he he saw i'd like to give a little bit of a, uh at least take a little bit of the burden off of uh joe corona i think another part of the problem was just the fact that uh mccarty and kellen Rowe were dropping too deep and were allowing you mean too a, much space Acosta? in between yeah, Acosta. Yeah, too yes. many Kellens. Uh, Who would have thought yes. we have too many Kellens yeah. at one time? Right, right, right. Normally, uh, you don't yeah. have one. Or none. Acosta, <laughs> Acosta and McCarty were dropping too deep, way too close to the center backs, uh, and leaving uh, Corona out on an island many a time. And so, and he's not a natural, obviously, he's not a natural number 10 to begin with. He's more of a, a attacking eight. But 
he didn't have a lot of a lot to work with with his the way he was being isolated by the rest of his central midfield and he he messed up the ch- some of the chances he did get but i feel like McCarty especially uh also had a pretty poor game not that they, not that there's anyone they can bench him for but he didn't right. play the same way that he played against Ghana a theoretically better team right i think that's a great point and it it shows that it's not just Joe Corona, who plays better when he's more connected to the other central midfielders. That's true of both McCarty and Acosta. They're better when they can combine with each other and with whoever's in that attacking midfield spot to to open up lanes. Because we know Acosta can play a through ball. We know McCarty can play a through ball. Um, and we know Corona can, can play those balls, too, when he sees them. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't see them as well higher up the field. So I think just the the way they came out in this one didn't didn't quite work and they they still got the point right but it it, it also the, just seemed the like the day were came. a bunch of guys just seemed collectively a little off in general um yeah and maybe they felt like the ghana game was the bigger test even though that was not ghana's um very best uh side by any stretch of the imagination no. um but maybe the imagination uh in the locker room was you know hey uh if we can stand in against ghana and win that game 2-1 um, then Panama shouldn't be that big of a deal. But the fact is that Panama has played the U.S. close for the last, like, six years. Um, going back to them getting... Especially since San Susi. Well, I mean, going back to the 2011 Gold Cup, Panama beat the U.S. in, in the group stage. Um, since then, they've also, in the last Gold Cup, they held the U.S. to two ties. Um, they've held them to a tie this time. In qualifying, the games against Panama have gone a little better, but they're not blowouts by any stretch of the imagination. The games are always very tight, very close, very unpleasant, um, played in this kind of heat, seemingly, no matter what time of year um, the game happens. The game is played in in uh, high humidity, hydration break requiring kind of temperatures. Um, and that's, I, I don't know why the U.S. players might have had that in their heads, because at this point, there's enough experience there to say, like, Panama is no joke. We have to take this game very seriously. Um, but it did seem to me a little bit like that collective level of focus on this game wasn't quite there. Um, and there's not too much when, when once that's there on game day, it's kind of hard to fix. Um, you might have some sort of sub on your bench where that individual player is so fired up that he might be able to fix the problem by just, uh, adding some energy and, and, uh, you know, a bit of a demanding personality to come in and, and urge the players to uh, to pick it up. But, you know, beyond that, it's not really it's one of those things where you have to gut the game out and, and figure out if you can and drag out a one nothing. And the U.S. had their chance to do that, but they scored their goal and pretty much Panama dominated the next 10 minutes and then they scored their oh, goal. Yeah. Uh, and really and really, if we're being honest, the they if there's a team that deserved to win this one, it probably was Panama rather than the U.S. Um, yeah. This probably... yeah, Brad Guzan had to make the, the biggest save right. of um, the game. And this this probably needs to be the U.S.'s worst performance of the tournament. It's good that they got it out of the way early, I suppose, but only if that actually holds up. Um, I mean, they can get away with playing worse against Martinique or Nicaragua. Let's let's not pretend that... that um, you know, there's no reason to lie and pretend that if they play the way they did against Panama, hey, they'll that's beat first those place, teams. Martinique. Yes, but they'll yeah. they'll beat both of those teams by playing at the level they played against. But once they get, but once they get to the the, the knockout stage, which now that they've tied Panama, they now have a goal difference uh, concern to deal with, and the difference between um, winning winning the group meant playing someone like. Possibly Canada, but, but possibly lesser than like Canada would be the best team they could end up against, um, right? In in realistic scenarios, whereas if they don't win the group, they're playing possibly um, other teams in the hex, um, Costa Rica, Honduras. Right. You don't you don't want to end up playing those teams earlier than you have to. So um, they do need to go hang some goals in these games. They can't just win them and and be it can't be professional. Like a two nothing professional win is all well and good, but Panama might be in the other game putting four goals on somebody because the gulf in cl- in class between the top two and bottom two in this group is enormous. Um, I, I I do want to take an aside and just mention I'm so sad that Flart Maluda couldn't play for Martinique in this tournament. I tried to explain that to somebody that isn't that familiar with soccer, and they were like, "I, what are you even talking about?" And I was like, 
their coach said he was going to play even after being informed that they would forfeit the game if he took the field. He still said he was going to play. Uh, there was a good explanation on the Total Soccer Show today about why he wasn't eligible to play in this tournament, but he could play in the in the Caribbean Cup. Right. Uh, the, it's basically F- FIFA rules. The, the Caribbean Cup doesn't isn't subject to FIFA right. rules, and the Gold Cup is. Um, and things get complicated once you get into foreign territories that are departments rather than right. Um, but come on, Florent Maluda would have been amazing to see in the Gold it. Cup. It would have been kind of wild to see like Florent Maluda and literally like semi professional guys that have day jobs. Uh, take the field yeah. against Canada. Yes. And Canada, of all the countries in the Gold Cup, Canada has had so many bad experiences and nightmares that uh, I can imagine that they were probably thinking, like, you know what, he's going to play anyway, and somehow Concacaf's not going to invalidate the result, and somehow he's going to end up scoring the game winner. Um, I mean, if, if if Martinique had won 6-0, even with a 3-0 forfeit, I feel like they should still should have let them want win 6-3. <laughs> Not that that happened, but no, it, they should have let that happen. Canada so you got just a, want to combine the real Dan result Yakovich. with the forfeit and uh, oh, decky. of all of all people to break Canada's incredibly long, like literally six game scoreless streak in Gold Cup play, it was Djokovic. not playing as a center forward. They didn't do that. He was playing his normal position. Um, life is strange. I don't know what else to say. Canada, man. Let's get back to this USA oh, game. Canada. Uh, Dom Dwyer now has two goals in two caps since becoming a U.S. citizen. Uh, he's been active. He's combined well. He's gotten on the end of things. You know, all credit to Kellen Rowe for sombreroing one guy and, and making room to get this cross off and then making it a clever cross that cuts back instead of just mm-hmm. a blind ball across the face of goal. Uh, but Dwyer still had some work to do and put on a really good finish on this one and Yep. Sydney LaRue let the world know on Twitter uh, <laughs> that her husband did another thing. Uh, ben, what do you make of Dom Dwyer in U.S. colors? I mean, in U.S. colors, I I like him. He's He doesn't have the, uh, the clinical conversion. I mean, he scored two goals in two games. He's a good finisher, but he's not as clinical. He, I mean, in the Ghana game especially, he missed a couple of chances. Uh, and he's not as clinical as you might want him to be, but he, I feel like he's perfect for CONCACAF. He is uh, everything that uh, uh, Peter Vermees has instilled in his brain uh, is perfect for CONCACAF. He is a pest. He runs around. He's energetic. Uh, he does score goals. And so I don't think he's a starter on this team when the full national team is available, but he's definitely a useful piece of this team. And... He could definitely be useful in World Cup qualifiers and other uh, other locales going forward as a sub. Uh, like I said, I don't see him displacing Josie Altidore or Bobby Wood, but as a as a super sub, as a situational piece, as a as a pest. I, I mean, when you don't have to play against it in MLS, the the Peter Vermeesing of the world is uh, kind of good for your team. Yeah, and and I, I mean, I would, I'm thinking, calf. yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, when I think through the the other players that would be contending to get on the, the final World Cup roster uh, as forwards, you know, Ben mentioned Altidore and Wood. They're going to be ahead of everybody else for obvious reasons. Um, but after that, I mean, this is a team. This is a player pool that has had Chris Wondolowski getting called in, and I know people don't like to hear it, but because he actually was meriting the call-ups um, yeah. for most of that time. Like, he w- even even at the least likely call-up for Wando, he was still, he had a solid argument for his spot in the roster because of his ability to finish. Now, yes. And the lack of anybody else. Right. And, and you know, his most famous national team moment obviously is a miss rather than a goal. Um, but the fact is that without, before Dwyer was in the pool, you had... Um, Agudelo struggling to get himself a starting role in New England. Now, now he appears to be the guy there uh, now, which is great. Um, but you know, if you have, if you told me that Agudelo and Dwyer were the other two forwarder roster going to Russia in 2018, I would say that's not a surprise to me. Um, that that makes some sense. Um, Jordan Morris, I'm sure, is going to bounce back once Seattle figures themselves out. He'll he'll pick his form, his own form up once that team gets better and then all of a sudden he becomes an option but 
Um, Dwyer's right in the thick of it already, I think, um, for being a, a different player than we have in the... The closest thing in the in the player pool to Dwyer is Wood, but Wood is not... They're not exactly alike by any means. Um, Wood's a little faster. He's a little more of a um, running the channels player, whereas Dwyer is... A, there's a little bit of, like, Joe Max Moore uh, to Dom Dwyer to go way back, um, where he's... he. He's always hard, working hard on both sides of the ball. He doesn't shy away from the physicality of of, uh, of the game. There is the occasional surprise where he, you know, he he um, takes a shot from long range that gets dangerous, things like that. He's not predictable. Um, his balance is good. His physical strength is good. Um, no one has ever had a complaint about him as a teammate. Um, so all of those things really add up to someone that I could see Arena saying, like, I need to find a place for this guy on my my roster for the tournament. Now, that doesn't mean that he's definitely in. He still has to play at the level he's playing at or better now from here on out, but he's he's definitely in the in the discussion at this point. Looking at the other goal in this game, uh Miguel Camargo's no, equalizer. <laughs> yeah. Uh my, my question is specifically, does anybody not look bad on this goal? Uh there was the initial cross which should have been dealt with and and wasn't. Then there was the shot, which was allowed to go through. Brad Guzan made himself big. I'm not going to fault him too much for giving up. Yeah, I was going to say. As, uh, but I'll let, I'll let you the, guys if you want to. But then no. everyone on the the U.S. defense footed while cut-footed while cut-footed while cut-footed while Camargo beat them to the ball and put it past Guzan for the, the tying goal. A um, lot of blame to go around. What did you guys yeah. make of it? Um, out of the back six, the person I, or back seven, if you include Guzan, the person I blame the least is Guzan. He could have grabbed the ball rather than parrying it, but it was still a pretty difficult block that he made. So I don't blame him too much. I think I blame the center backs the most and probably Omar Gonzalez the most, even because they just decided to wander out of position a little bit and mark space, but mark space in a bad way. And didn't have the 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 soccer IQ, the wherewithal to realize what was happening. Obviously, Zuzi and Kellen Rowe made uh, bad decisions and bad plays, and uh, Kellen Acosta couldn't get back in time. But I feel like if the center backs had been in position and in their line, they might have been there to intercept things and head things away. I mean, the whole thing is a, a mess structurally. Um... I don't think Guzan deserves any blame because it was it that whole ten minute span was like him making big saves and then trying to like tell the people in front of him like this is what you need to do, and each time the follow up was them not doing it. Um, there's only there's only so much you can do when you're stopping shots in traffic, hard shots, uncontested shots, um, in traffic, and it's the worst of both worlds where the the defenders are present so you can't see through them, but they aren't actually doing anything to help. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was a mess, I think, all over the place. Um, th- the only players on the field that I think you can uh, absolve from blame are, like, Dwyer um, and and Corona, I guess, uh, was far enough upfield where you couldn't say it was on him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the whole group was just uh, out of sorts throughout that whole play. And really for the 10 minutes from when the goal happened until uh, the sub came in um, moments after Panama got their goal, um, they just weren't you know, weren't mentally prepared, I guess, for Panama to have anything in the tank. It almost seemed like the U.S. got their goal and like, okay, that settles it. Um, Panama will go away and that's the end of it. And Panama on their side of it was like, okay, this is where we have to give it everything we've got right now. And look yeah. what happened. I mean, the, the um, this wasn't even Panama's best team, um, but they were, they were mobile. Uh, they were causing numerous, it wasn't even just numerous breakdowns. It was, breakdowns from different spots on the field involving different players. Um, Ismael Diaz, who I, I think really highly of as, uh, uh, he's only 20 years old at this point, but he really should have buried um, that rebound that he ended up putting straight over the bar from an almost impossible uh, angle. Um, you know, the whole, that whole 10 minute sequence, it was just like someone had hit pause on the thought process of every U S player with defensive role uh, with a defensive role in this game. And, 
eventually it finally came to that they were like, oh, the ball, uh, I guess I should go near it, I don't know, and, and Panama was actually moving with a purpose and with determination and in concert with their teammates, um, and the U.S. defense was not doing those things, and sometimes it can be as simple as that, uh, if you're just sort of out there running around, you get lost, and the U.S. looked completely lost on that goal. I mentioned it earlier, Martinique, tiny overseas department of France, Martinique. With a, non-tifanation. With a nice flag. Give French them credit flag. for having a nice their, flag. Their national flag is the French flag, but they do have their own department no, no, flag. No, the, the official, yeah, the, the Martinique flag. The French they flag do. is is a flag. There's nothing special right. about it. Sorry, Franco it, it's, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason it's a classic. Uh, eh. But Martinique beat Nicaragua two to nothing, uh, and they are in first place in Group B, just like everyone expected coming into this tournament. Um, yep. So they will meet the U.S. in Tampa on Wednesday night. Uh, real quick, because it, we we got to switch over to our next segment. Who do you want to see on the field in this one? Do you want to see a couple changes, a, several changes, or all the changes? In this one, do you want to see just a completely new unit on the field? Only a couple of changes, at least initially, just because they have to win this game. So you run you run the first choice starters out for forty five minutes. Hopefully, rack up three goals and then make subs. But you got to get three subs. Not this Omar Gonzalez on the field and not Alejandro Bedoya on the field. Uh, I'm going to go. I, I want Agudelo uh, in this game from the start. Um, that one's that one for me is is easy. I think the U.S. has to have him in. Um, I guess if I had to go with one other player, um, other than I mean, I would like to see Bill Hamid uh, playing, um, but yeah. I don't know if Arena is yeah. going to rotate goalkeepers at any point because they don't really need the rest. Um, he has said though that he wants to use just about everyone on his roster, so that's at least a, a sliver of hope. Um, outside, Nicaragua game though. Outside of that. Um, I mean, Chris Pontius uh, could come in and I think do some damage um, in this game uh, coming in off the left. Uh, he's been on the right for the Union this season and actually is up near the top of the MLS assist chart for the first time in his career um, playing out out on the right. But I think putting him out on the left, playing, asking him to kind of play the way Kellen Rowe did where he's cutting inside and causing damage both as a uh, passer and as a threat to goal, I think that's uh, an element that the U.S. could use without... You know, Rowe, I think, is going to deserve to stay in the starting lineup um, for the third game. But in this game, you can, I think, afford to bring Pontius in and let him loose. And I think he's more than capable of being effective in that role, whether it's 4-4-2 uh, with Agudelo and another forward or whether they stick with the 4-2-3-1. Because there is one thing that I thought of, was, which is that if Corona falls out of the starting lineup based on an ineffective performance and the other personnel, which we already talked about, um, if Corona falls out of the starting lineup for the, the big games, the knockout games, then he's probably going to play more in these final two group games because you want to keep those other guys fresh for the knockout stage. So maybe Corona keeps his spot just as a, like, he's he's no longer first choice, but he starts this game so that other people stay fresh. But We'll see. The main thing for me, though, is is I think Agudelo um, up front makes a lot of sense to me for this game. I know a lot of people are itching to see Christian Roldan on the field. Uh, nah. I don't know if he he I, partners with one of the other tips game or if game or if game or I mean, if the, game or if he it, I'm looking the, at the, the issue the with Roldan. Like I, I, like I think Roldan is an excellent player. I've thought that for a while. Yeah. The issue is that if you've got Dax McCarty. Um, and Kellen Acosta, he doesn't fit in next to Acosta because they're too similar, um, and he's not better than Kellen Acosta. So where does he fit in? You're looking at him at, um, you know, he's played some as a right back, he's played some as a right midfielder, but those aren't his best spot. His best spot is next to Dax McCarty in, in, with this roster. That's the best spot for him, but there's a better player available. From that. If we're being honest, there's two better players because that's also Alejandro Bedoya's, Bedoya's. best role. Yeah. Um, so I think the problem is that Roldan's probably going to have to sub in for McCarty, um, which he's capable of doing. It's just not the best place for him. All right. Well, like you said, Jason, earlier, uh, the U.S. is going to win this game. Anything less than a win would be a 
bit of a disaster. A, a Klinsman level uh, scandal. Yes. Yes. It would be by far the worst result of the second arena era. Um, so we won't even contemplate that unless it actually happens, in <laughs> which case we'll be here talking about it next week. That's it for the Gold Cup. We are going to talk about DC United after the break with Devin McTavish. So stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. DC United are on a two-week break now for the Gold Cup, so we're going to take the opportunity to zoom out a bit for some mid-year reviewing, and we've got a great guest to help us out, Devin McTavish, former DC United defender and current color commentator with the team. Devin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I appreciate, the, uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on. And at the outset, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize to the listeners about the, the sound quality and the fact that there's no... Ben or Jason on this segment. We had some technical difficulties that uh, we tried to work around, and Devin, you were very patient and diligent in trying to, to help us out with that, but we couldn't get around it, so we're recording this over the, the phone, going a little old school on this. Um, but Should I tell I, them that it's on a, a rotary dial phone that I have, too, or no? I, yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to, but yeah, uh, I, I think the cat's out of the bag. That's how technology savvy I am. <laughs> I, I warned you beforehand, Devin, our first question for you is, what are you drinking? Oh, yes, I was, um, well, I just finished my warm glass of milk, getting ready for bed. No, actually, it's a, uh, a little dickle with a splash of water. Excellent. A little Tennessee whiskey, yeah. yeah. I'm all about the whiskey. How about you? Uh, I actually switched over. I was drinking a, a shrub in the first segment, and I switched over to some uh, mixer's bourbon Okay. for this segment. Uh, just classic. Neat. Just meat and a little uh, highball glass, or not a highball glass, just a, an old rocks glass. So, you know, I, I like to keep it keep it classy from time to time, not all I the time. Sounds but. like it, geez, yeah, that's a <laughs> heck of a way to start your week. I like it. So, with DC United, they're obviously struggling a bit on the field right now. When you're a player and you have one of these extended breaks come up, I don't know if, if I, I didn't look back at the record when when you were on the team, but if there was a, a kind of a dry patch, a, a spell when the team was struggling and you had one of these extended breaks come up, how did that strike the locker room typically? It was welcome. I mean, you know, this is speaking from on my behalf, and <laughs> um, I don't know what the players in the locker room right now are like, but, it, you know, when things aren't really going your way, when um, obviously the results aren't going your way, um, when you've had as crazy as a schedule as they've had over the six weeks, you kind of see – uh, this opportunity is just to to get away, um, get away from the game, spend some time with the family, uh, find some time to, to actually relax and kick your legs up and not focus on um, the daily task of, of, you know, which doesn't seem like a hard task of playing soccer on a daily basis, but the amount of focus it takes uh, to perform at a high level is, it takes a lot of energy physically, obviously, and mentally as well. So it's, it's it, I think, you know, taking a, big look at the team I think this kind of came at a obviously you, you'd wanted to get a result go into the break with a result but um, you know given the string of, of what's happened over the past three four weeks 
uh, it was certainly a welcome break, and I think the guys are going to come back. I would imagine, obviously, a little more refreshed, a little energetic, um, kind of try to find that joy in the game that seems to be lacking right now. We've seen from players' social media that they, they got out of town and immediately there was some decompressing happening, yeah. and that's it, it seems like it's necessary, especially you don't want the locker room to get toxic or anything. No. But when no, they yeah, – yeah, when when they come back, they're obviously going to get back to work. And how much how much can get done once they they do come back? Because they're obviously not going to be on the beach for the full two weeks, or or maybe even for for a full half of it. No, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I would, I mean, I think our longest break was like three days, which was amazing. You know, typically you get like a one day off. Um, and I think they ended up being done after uh after the july 4th game in dallas so mm-hmm. um i mean that's and then back today monday for i mean that's a, that's a good five solid days obviously there's a travel day in there but it really is a good time for them to kind of decompress and and now it's kind of a mini training camp again kind of getting back to basics um which is you know needed everyone seems to be uh not fully focused not necessarily on the same page at times and so it, i would imagine it's going to be a an intense training camp and um, and and guys trying to prove to the staff that they should be in the 11 because at this point, um, you know, again, with the string of results, that it seems uh, no one's really making an easy decision for Olsen to be in the 11. So there's maybe a handful of players at best. So um, I, I would imagine it to be a, a, a training camp. And especially with the international transfer window or even domestic transfer window opening today. I believe, as we record this on Monday night, uh, players are, are going to be feeling that pressure. And I wonder, last year, it, Olsen kind of used the uh, the extended summer break to put the final touches on the formation shift away from the four four two into the the four one four one or whatever you want to call it. Do you think any tactical adjustments like that? We know that there are some player personnel changes coming. We don't know exactly what they are yet. But do you have any idea whether there's could be some tactical wrinkles thrown in during this this little midseason training camp? You know, I I I honest I'm not exactly sure what I kind of just watching them um, from the outside. My thing is I think they're gonna. Last year we saw their commitment at this point in the season to the four one four one, which you know obviously kind of spurred their run into the playoffs. And I even with new additions, I just have an inkling that they're probably going to stick with this kind of four-two, uh, three-one formation because I I know the results haven't gone their way, but just again watching Acosta has been really bright. Is he has so much? He has a lot of freedom going forward, and not a whole lot of defensive responsibility, which is ideally uh, kind of an old-fashioned number ten role, which um, you know teams have kind of gotten away from. But he's an old-fashioned number ten. He doesn't do a, necessarily a whole lot of running. He likes to get the ball at his feet and. Um, kind of dictate the play and, and you need energy going forward to do that, not necessarily so much of a defensive role. So it just kind of seems to, even if they do have more personnel come in, whether it's a forward or a holding midfielder or a winger, I honestly have no idea what they're going to bring in. Um, it, they seem to kind of want to dictate their play through this new formation of kind of the four, two, three, one, however you really want to draw it up, but with the two holding midfielders. And I agree. I've said it on the show in previous weeks that the team has looked better. The process has been better in recent weeks since they shifted to that two holding midfield um, formation. And, you know, as much as I like the, the four, one, four, one, a little bit more direct, a little more attacking uh, it, you got to go where the, the better production is. And even though the goals haven't been there so far, I would say, I would agree with you that the the team has looked better in this formation this year anyway. Yeah, it's tough to say. Yeah, I, I know. You always, you always, as a fan, you always hate that term. They've looked better, but when <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but no, in no, I completely agree. I think they have, and it's kind of simplified. I mean, um, everyone's role a little bit. Where again, Acosta doesn't necessarily. He's probably never been accustomed to defending. He doesn't have to really defend that much. Um, Ian Hart, who is a quality player um, and can play both sides of the ball, has kind of simplified his role a little bit too, um, where he was maybe at times not so much sure of how to balance out going forward and when to stay because he's been kind of playing next to Marcelo at times and 
Jared Jeffrey at other times and Acosta even at times in the 4-1-4-1. So um, it, it kind of simplifies everyone's role a little bit. And then um, and then with Deshaun coming in, I mean, I, I do think that could be a bright spot with Acosta to kind of link up with him. We saw the goal in Dallas with, you know, um, Deshaun kind of dictating the run and Acosta, again, picking up the ball um, in a good position and being able to pick out his run. So, It'll be interesting to see the changes. I mean, they've they've made some, you know, last summer they were very successful in their moves, and so um, I wish I was an insider. I'm not. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'll be <laughs> I'll be learning the news along with you, but um, in terms of formation, I, I, I agree. I think this is kind of what we're going to see moving forward. So to your eye, why are have D.C. United been disappointing this year? And I, I, I don't think there's a – Another way to phrase that, we on this podcast picked them to win the East after this year, after the that phenomenal run-in last year that was really overshadowed only by the Seattle Sounders after they got yeah. Nico Lodero. But United were just unstoppable. They were irresistible in the attack, and they were not exactly stout in defense, but that was more than overshadowed by just how prolific they were at scoring goals. And now they, they can't buy a goal to, to save their life. What's been the biggest cause of that? Yeah, that's tough. I, you know, I mean, no, if we knew the And that is Ben Olsen's conundrum right yeah. now. <laughs> the goal's not big enough. Um, <laughs> no, the, it's it's just really, it has been a combination of things. I don't think, I, it just, at times when you're watching it, there just seems to be a lot of complacency. And you kind of, and this isn't taking anything away from the players on the field, but they're, um, you know, I mean, you look back at last summer and, um, you know, Lloyd Sam came in and um, did extremely well, and that's not to say he hasn't done well this year either, but he kind of played with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, it seemed like. Um, Acosta was new to the league, and he started getting comfortable in the second half of the season and started to show what he was capable of, and that kind of raised the players around him. Patrick Mullins came in, and again, a player of very high quality, wasn't getting a chance with NYCFC, um, you know, kind of came in maybe with a chip on his shoulder and to and obviously did extremely well for D.C. United in the second half of the year. And that's not to say that these, I mean, Patrick Mullins has had injury issues. Um, Lloyd Sam is, you know, it just hasn't seemed to, obviously still a quality player and having a, a, a good season, but doesn't necessarily seem to have that chip on his shoulder. And I think everyone on the field is kind of in the same way. It just kind of seems there's a bit of complacency. Um, and I don't know if that's through, I, I, I don't understand, I don't know the the reason behind that obviously, um, but it just seems kind of lethargic and um, pedestrian at times because there's just not a whole lot of urgency from the players out there. And I think, yes, they've been a little unlucky. They've hit some posts. They've, uh, you know, been a little unfortunate and missed the penalty kick um, lately. I mean, it's these little things, but, um, you know, little moments where the focus isn't there and the lack of drive and the lack of urgency add up. And now they're, you know, had a first half of the season that they can forget. <laughs> if if people will let them forget it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they need to forget it. Obviously, yeah. they need to forget it because it really is. I mean, every every athlete is thrives on confidence, and so um, and they you know they aren't playing confidently either. I don't think there's maybe one or two players on the field, and that kind of is a good time for them when a player is not playing confidently and get away. Just kind of remind yourself why you like this game, why you love this game, and and why you do this, and then come back and have this little mini training camp and get rear and ready to go again for the second half of the season. So you mentioned uh, forward, winger, defensive midfield, all positions of need. If United is going to make one move to upgrade a a starter, not just pick up somebody for for the bench, and obviously Storm Brown's already on the team and can play up top or out wide, Putting him aside, which one position would you like to see United make a move during this summer window? Yeah, I think, I mean, we kind of talked about it in the pregame show against Dallas. I think the center of the field has been a um, place where there's just kind of lacked some leadership. That's not to take anything away from, obviously, Hartz is doing extremely well. Jared Jeffries, um, a holy midfielder who kind of been overrun at times because he's been left exposed. And Marcelo, I love the guy. He's uh, <laughs> I always wish when I played, I always wanted to play like Marcelo, but never had that talent level or that 
the amount of energy he has, but it's, um, you know, players maybe just not playing at a hundred percent there. And so, it, you know, you kind of, you look at teams that are successful in the league and they are, um, extremely solid through the, through the spine. And that's where their leaders are as well. And that's, I think kind of what DC United is, um, needing at the moment, someone to be able to, um, hold everyone around them accountable uh, and dictate the play. And that doesn't necessarily mean going forward. That just means, you know, um, essentially locking down the middle of the field because there's been quite a few gaps there um, that have left them exposed in moments of games that uh, and they've been punished for it. And then again, that that whole responsibility and accountability, there seems to be, you know, a player maybe with a little bit of bite, more bite and, um, leadership in the in the center of the park that can just kind of um again hold the players around them accountable and say, Hey, that's not good enough, you need to be better, whether that's the pass or whether that's tracking back or whether that's winning a tackle, whatever that may be. I think if they're to go out, um that would be a that'd be a a good spot to look. I know a lot of people were a lot of fans I've talked to were were hoping uh to see Perry Kitchen walk through that door after his <laughs> disappointing end at, at Hearts. Uh, DC United still own his rights within MLS because of the vagaries of the league's roster rules. So mm-hmm. if he was coming back to the U.S., DC United was going to have the first shot at him. He signed for Randers. He's not coming through that door, it turns out. But I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree that, that central midfield is a, a position where they, they need someone to just be a lockdown guy, be able to mm-hmm. stay in the middle because I there were plays against um, in these last two games where you see both central midfielders drawn out towards the sideline and then the ball gets switched over and there's just nobody there and yeah. the ball ends up coming in. And that, that happened. Uh, that, that I think explains both of Jamali's goals or yeah. his goal and his assist. Both of the big yeah. plays in Montreal were just players getting moved around and, and then a, a huge hole opening up and, that can't happen. You have to have somebody who can stay in the middle or at least make sure somebody is in the middle. Yeah. So yeah. And, I, I, and it's not to take anything away. I mean, like it's, you no, know, of course um, not. it's just a matter of uh, someone who knows the position inside and out knows how to, uh, again, dictate the people around them as well. So I, if you're a holding midfielder, or you don't necessarily, if you're communicating correctly and everyone else is doing their job, um, you don't necessarily need to go run out. 20 yards to the wing to, to close down a man who's running at you with time and space and then is able to pick his head up um, and find someone else 30 yards from goal with 10 yards of space. So, no, I, I completely agree. And then, and, but you know, they, they still, they still need to score some goals as well. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, that, that's one of my, one of the things I'm thinking about the, the central midfield spot is that it's a platform position. It, it's when that spot is really in good hands, it may lets everyone in front of them play a little bit more confidently, worry a little bit less, and makes them better attackers. Right. So it's it's kind of a, a knock on effect that it could by locking down that role, you could actually get the team creating more goals. Yeah. Uh elsewhere. So that that's a little bit of magical thinking on my part and I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. But it's also something I think uh is a little bit true. So after this mid season training camp after the players get to the beach, see their families, um, get their heads right and come back and just get down to business this week and get geared up for Seattle on July 19th, which will be a late, late game uh, out here on the East Coast. How do you think United comes out of the gates for the, the what amounts to the run-in where they need to be in form for the entire final 15 games. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it's, well, and then you look at their schedule too. So, I mean, they, they can't, they don't exactly ease into it, do they? With traveling out to Seattle, playing in one of the most difficult environments in the league. And then, uh, MLS, MLS scheduling, you fly right back and play <laughs> Houston. Um, who knows how to score a goal or two. No, it, it, I think, um, you know, obviously there could be some new players added over the next month or so, but I, I think the first two games kind of dictate what the rest of the season is going to go like. If they can somehow, if they come out and they're, you know, sharp and they're organized and they 
um, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities given to them and they can get a result in Seattle. Again, a very tough place to play and then turn back around and play against the Houston team who knows how to score, but has yet to, to win a game on the road. And I think they only have two ties, if I remember correctly, on the road. So if they can get three points there, then this is a team that's confident. Um, you know, they come off the break and say, all right, these, these first two games back in a short amount of time, we've already picked up four points and, and then we just take it you know, game by game, obviously, that's always the case, but got a little more uh, confidence than you. Everyone's feeling good, and so it's. The, I think the next two games are of obviously the utmost importance for the team. Devin, thanks for coming on the show, man. Absolutely my pleasure. Again, apologies for the technical difficulties on my part. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's part of this business, I think. I think we've all Everyone on this show has been responsible for technical yeah. difficulties of one type or another, and I'm, I'm certainly no exception to that. Uh, but I, I, uh, tell I, have, I have two computers, and uh, neither of them were working. So, <laughs> well, that's uh, two computers more than I have had at some points during this re- the recording of this show. There, we've we've gotten creative at times. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's worked, and sometimes it hasn't. All right. Well, next time it'll be a cup and a shoestring. So just let All me right. know when you're available to do that one, too. You know, I, I don't know if that'll be better or worse than the rotary phone. <laughs> Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online, the, the few of them that don't already follow you? The few of them, yeah. Hit me up on Twitter at Devo McT, D-E-V-O-M-C-T, or, uh, or on Instagram, too, at Devo McT as well. Right. And of course, look for look for Devin on the broadcast on uh, American Sports Network. Uh, yeah, and they're they're showing DC United. Yeah, yeah. News Channel Eight or ABC Seven. Check us out. Yeah, the Seattle game will actually be on ABC Seven. It'll be yeah. a, a late late Wednesday game, but it'll be there on broadcast in uh, in the DC area. Find us at blackandredunited dot com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at Black and Red you for the website send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud google play the podcatcher of your choice mostly though please tell a friend about the show that's that's the best way to to spread the word so for jason and ben who couldn't be here for this segment and thanking Devin one more time um i guess i'll say goodbye myself so bye y'all